This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. When we were at Oakwood, we were international students and... My wife, coming from our country, was a trained teacher. She taught foreign language, and she knew music. So I went down to the local Salvation Army, because they said my wife couldn't work. So I went to the local Salvation Army, and I bought a piano for $100. That's all I could have. And she taught the kids music. Look at the result. Blessing the people of God. And so I'm grateful today for not just what they have done in blessing your hearts, but for the leaders who have preceded me. In the prayer and in the scripture reading and in the music, all are ministering together to glorify God and to worship Him. Because that's the purpose for which we come. You know, sometimes we come to church, we are so sedated. It's like we were inoculated at the door. You know, one time, I preach at all types of churches, and one time they invited me to a, a Baptist church to preach. And I got into that Baptist church, and I was sitting quietly like I normally sit here, and I saw everybody get it done. I look odd. So guess what I did? I danced too. <laughs> when I came out of there, I, I sat in my car for a while and I said, Lord, was that really me? I was, you know. Our culture is a little different in the Seventh-day Adventist church. We are sedated. We are calm. But when we reflect on God's goodness, when we reflect on what God has done for you, you shouldn't keep quiet. When we reflect, on all the possible, Mrs. White has a powerful statement where she said that if the scales were removed from our eyes and we would see how many times God's angels snatch us away from certain death, you would not quiet. You'd glorify God. Because that's the purpose for which we were made. We were made to glorify God. Isn't that the truth? So can we worship him today? I'm not really encouraging you to dance so somebody can go tell the conference. I just want you to do what we call in black preaching, call and respond. Preacher, preacher, you respond. We are glorifying God, okay? So I want you to open your Bibles with you. Thank God for the clerk who so ably read our scripture reading. But I want to cast your attention very briefly to another portion of scripture, which will eventually recon be reconciled and correlate with what was read in our scripture reading. But I want to take your minds to second and your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 6. We will be looking very briefly at a narrative, a story that happened in ancient Israel. So come with me and let us start with verse 1. I will read and you will follow. The Bible says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2 onwards. Please let us go to the Jordan, they said. And let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Verse 3. Then one said, please, come with us. Accompany us to, Jor to Jordan. And he said, okay, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. 
But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? Where did you lose it? And he showed him the place. So the prophet cut off a stick and threw it in the water, and he made the iron head float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hands and took it. The schools of the prophet in ancient Israel were divinely appointed places for means of accomplishing God-ordained duty of instilling divine principles in the people of God. So the schools of the prophet were designed to train young men to come out as prophets and leaders so that they will be able to edify. Sounds like a big word, but it means build up the people of God spiritually, economically, emotionally. And these young men, when they go to the schools of the prophet, it was the responsibility of certain prophets to nurture them. In nurturing them, they were to teach them step by step how to do rituals and how to do certain things in worship and to teach them very important issues that I will share to you in a, which share with you in a minute. It is evident from scripture that the establishment of the schools of the prophet was a necessity. The schools were established due to the decline of the priesthood and respect in the priesthood because of the actions of Eli's and Eli and his sons. Do you remember what Eli's two sons did when they lit strange fire and carried? They, you know, it was horrible. These young men would go up and they would go to the people who are preparing the sacrifices and they would take the best meat and take it home to eat. Morality had declined and there was no respect because while the butchers were and those who were preparing the sacrifices would give them the, the meat, they were saying, look at them. Instead of giving God their best, they take the best. Do you not know sometimes when people see us as believers, the choices we make, they know what we believe and they say, look at them. They are supposed to be keeping the Sabbath and look where she is. The people around you know what you are supposed to do. You take it for granted that they are ignorant and that they do not know the truth. And sometimes you make bad choices in their presence. Look at them. You and I have been called to a great work. To be ambassadors for God. So the schools of the prophet had significant responsibilities. The students as well as the prophets who led them. The schools of the prophet came out in a time when such principles of godliness were needed among the children of Israel. And they were not like the schools today that we call theological schools. In the theological schools, as Mrs. White puts it in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 592 and 93, Mrs. White says that the schools of the prophet taught poetry. They taught the laws of Moses, the principles of righteousness. And she said they were not designed like the schools, the seminaries that they did today, where the students go in knowing scripture and come out learning less scripture. 
Mrs. White specifically pointed out that in the schools of the prophet, there was so much nurturing that the, 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 the prophets were looked at as fathers. Not that Catholic stuff, but fathers who were nurturing these young men to lead God's people. Let me tell you something. If you are going to be a leader among God's people, you have to be equipped. You have to know what you're doing. Because this is no measly easy job. It is a job of responsibility and a job in which, a, a, a calling in which you have to not just show respect to people and get respect, but your very life must exemplify that you have been touched by the Holy Spirit. You and I have been called to the, the community of priesthood that each one of us have a responsibility to live. But that individual who has been called to ministry to prophesy God's word must be able to exemplify it in their daily living. So here they were, these young men, as I just read to you, these young men were set aside for a noble task. And they were put on campuses. There were at least... Four of these campuses across Israel, there was one, we were told, in Gibeah, School of the Prophet. There was one in Ramah. There was one in Bethel. There was one in Jericho. And there was one in Gilgal. In each of these seminaries, in each of these schools, each had a prophet. It was first started by Samuel. And then came Elijah and Elisha. And as time went on, the schools of the prophet developed and grew tremendously under the leadership of Elisha. In fact, when Samuel first started it, we were told in history that there were about 100 students. And then after it, reaches, it, it reached Elisha, we learned that Elisha had over 800 students at one time. So here in our story, come with me to Jericho where this story was set. There, the young men realized that the work was growing and it was becoming too tight for them. We know that they dwell on, on, in dorms on the campus. We know that they had classroom, but the story didn't tell us specifically what they wanted to expand. Whether they wanted their dorms expanded or the classroom expanded. But they didn't have the sophistication that we have today where we have wealthy people in the church who would just give, write a check and give a donation. In fact, if you go into the word, in, into the, the word and into the spirit of prophecy, as I had to research to talk to you today, Mrs. White specifically shared that in this case, Elisha and the young men, he had hundreds of young men, they were not supported by Israel at all. And that they had to do farming, they had to do construction, they had to do carpentry and masonry and plumbing, if they had that. But they had to do everything. And so the young man looked at the prophet and said, Will you accompany us while we go down to Jordan to fetch some wood that we can expand on this building? Mark you, you are talking about Jericho, which was about between five and seven miles from their campus. The young man proposed that they would go and fell a few trees and they would take each beam and walk five to seven miles back to their camp. When we look at that today, we think that's an enormous task. But these young men were fit because while they were students, they were also res be responsible and were, uh, 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 it was necessary for them to have good health. 
They were to eat right, live right, rest well, study hard. Because they know that their responsibility is a noble one. You and I must understand that even today, as body of believers, as holders of truth, of righteousness, we have a responsibility to eat right, to live right, to do right. Oh, sometimes at Seven Adventists, we know what we should do when it comes to diet. But we don't do because some of us can't let go some things. Did I say chicken? It's like one of my, uh, one of my, my, my children tell me, but daddy tastes so good. And the emphasis on so, so good. But the truth is, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility must not renege on. And so our story is set at the Jericho campus. Watch me, follow me, walk with me, with these young men. Several of them who have convinced the prophet to accompany them to that fertile river valley. And as they were going down from, Jordan, from Jericho to Jordan, they, I just see them in my mind's eye with their childish plays as young men, playing with their acts and playing with the, the bands and all the things that they had because they had to carry that wood back to their dorm. And then they reached Jordan, that fertile river valley. And there they fetched the best wood for them to use in the construction of ex an expansion of the dorms or perhaps the classroom. But while they were there, something happened. A young man borrowed an axe, and he started chopping. It tells me one important thing, that this incident happened right on the riverbank, right beside the water. Because as he was chopping, the axe head flew off and went into the water. Now, the important thing we have to note here is that this young man said, Alas, master! For it was borrowed. And one translation renders it. It says, oh no, my Lord, it was only borrowed. I read this passage of scripture over and over several times. To see if I could eliminate the anxiety I hear in this young man's voice. Oh no, my Lord, he cried. It was borrowed. It could be. And I'm analyzing this as a chaplain. It could be that his evident anxiety is as a result of one of four reasons. I put it to you today. I believe that it's one of four reasons that caused him to appear so anxious. Lord, it was borrowed. The first one I would share, to, would share with you today is, you will recall when the spirit-led young lady, little girl, who was taken as a slave to the Syrian captain Naaman. You remember that story? And because she was acquainted with the who is who in Israel, she recommended the prophet Elisha, who had an extensive resume on healing, to her master. What was her master's name? Naaman. You remember she told him that there is a prophet in Israel who could help him. Do you remember that? And then Naaman was so glad for the opportunity when he heard. He drove with his entourage to meet the prophet. And when he got there... 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 9 tells us, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10. And the Bible says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. 
But Naaman was what? He was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand a call and call upon his God and wave his hand over the place and cure my leprosy. Not only that, you recall that in verse 12, he said, ah, Why do I have to wash in Jordan? Are not Abana and Parfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. In rage. Listen, what he was saying is Jordan was dirty. So imagine this axe head flew over into that dirty water. What happened? It disappeared. So the young man became anxious because he knew that there was no way he could retrieve that axe head again. You and I have circumstances in our lives sometimes in which we have lost important things and we find and have difficulty retrieving them. What about that relationship you lost that you regret that what had taken place happened? What about the circumstances regarding your son or daughter who once was in church but is no longer here? You and I have lost significant things. And as we sit here today, we sit before God sometimes with broken hearts because we have lost so much. And today I've stopped by here to share with you that there are examples in Scripture that will edify us as God's children, that will remind us that God never leaves his children. He never forsakes his children. He stands by their side. Where did you lose it? Was it on the job? Where someone caused you to lose an opportunity. What is it? What is it that you have lost today and wish to redeem? What is the circumstance that, that, that is causing you to be so burdened that you cannot understand why God has not heard you yet? What is it that you have lost? Oh, don't sit before me and tell me, oh, chaplain, I'm all right. Because many, there's a study came out from Barna. And it says that many Christians are unhappy. How did, they assume, how, how did they conclude that? The study said that many Christians, while being involved in church, are unhappy. That doesn't make sense. Because the truth is, if we are wrapped up and tightly tied up in Jesus, shouldn't we be happy? But the study said that those Christians are distracted by life's circumstances. Some believe that they have not been able to achieve the things they want to achieve in life. Some believe that they're broken families, that God could fix it, but are dismayed because nothing has happened. Some believe that economically they're struggling so much, and God, who owns a cattle upon a thousand hills, should bless them, and they are unhappy. What is it that you have lost? What is it? That has been taken away from you. That you need God to restore to you today. What is it? You mothers at night. When your children are asleep. And sometimes they're not even at home. They've left the church and left home. And you're worried and broken. And you're crying. But the best that you can do is give it to God. He who hears you in secret. Will reward you openly. Oh, my dear friends, you have no need to be broken. You have no need to be dismayed. This young man, the second reason why I think he was anxious, he simply said, I borrowed it, which means it belongs to someone else. Fritz Heichelmann, in his two-volume series, An Ancient Economic History, 
tells us that in ancient Israel, when one borrowed something, he had a responsibility to return it intact. And if that was not done, that individual could be charged the value of whatever he lost plus interest in ancient Israel. So Heichelman said that perhaps this young man realized that he was in school, broke, had nothing, and did not and could not perceive how he could replace that axe head. Oh, you know, that may, that may have been the reason why he was anxious. Or number three, maybe according to Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 5, it says, as when one goes into the forest with his friends to cut wood, and his hand swings, and the axe swings to cut down the tree, and the iron head slips off. This is a law. The handle is broken. Or he, or sh he strikes his friend so that he dies. That individual whose axe has been damaged must flee to one of the cities of refuge if he strikes anyone or could be killed. Maybe the anxiety, although he didn't hit anyone, was caused primarily because he knew that law and perhaps thought that if that were to happen to him, there is no city of refuge in the fertile river valley of Jordan and he would certainly could have been killed right there. What is the circumstance? What is your situation? What is it that you have lost and you're fighting to regain and can't understand why God is not hearing you? What is it? What is it that you're struggling with? Is it school? Is it finances for school? Or perhaps you've borrowed too much and don't know how to repay it? This too you must bring before God and lay before him because he will help you lay it before God. See how I tell y'all, y'all can keep quiet. I'm preaching to Baptists and they're running from there to there. <clears throat> so number four, why is this guy so anxious? I want you to listen carefully. You and I as onlookers and spectators and observers of this text may not be able to understand the enormity of his anxiety. What is the big deal about an axe head? One can just go over to Lowe's or Home Depot or better yet, one could just go to a thrift store. I love thrift stores. I know you all are sophisticated and you only, you only think that God blesses you with new things. But I love thrift stores. The goodies you can find in my wife says, why are you always going to thrift stores? Because I love thrift stores. And I love dollar stores too. <laughs> yeah. I think God put those for the economic, economic disadvantage. Some of us who struggle, God put them there in this good America. So that we can walk in with a dollar, and uh, in Florida it's dollar cent or dollar seven cent. We can walk in with a dollar seven cents and come out with a nice chocolate. Some of you don't eat chocolate, huh? But, 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 as onlookers, we look at this and we say to ourselves, what's the big deal? An accent is just a few dollars. But here it is. Archaeologists, archaeologists tell us that in the ancient Near East, where our story took place, that iron was of as valuable as gold and silver and diamond today. Listen, listen, listen. Why is this so, you might say, why is this so, Chaplin? You can ask me the question, I'll answer you. You see, iron ore that was used to make the axe, as in this story, was only acquired through meteoric showers. You know what that means? Meteoric showers. Coming down. That's how they got iron. And, and 
that made it very scarce. Blacksmiths were top jobs. Not physician assistants and doctors. Blacksmiths. Because they primarily worked for the king. And their job was to melt and smelt the ore and turn them into weapons such as spears and, 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 and tips of arrows. They made tools such as rammers and axes. And these were costly. Only av these things were only available to the rich outside of the king's domain. Those associated with the king were usually wealthy because they had access to these things too. Hence, a well-known principle comes into play as we think about this principle. It's economics 101. When there's a scarcity of goods or services, demand increases, prices inevitably rise. Hence, an axe head, the archaeologists tell us, had a value of approximately between 1,000 and 5,000 U.S. dollars. Alas, my Lord, it was borrowed. Young man knew that he could not replace it. In our lives, sometimes we come across circumstances that we want to rectify, but we cannot rectify. We are helpless to rectify, and only God can do it. What is it that you are struggling with today? What is it that you have lost and you cannot replace it and you are totally helpless? Ministered to a young boy this past week, dying of cancer, 13 years old. Saw a father stood over this young man and said, I am so helpless. What can I do to save my son? And I felt helpless too. In the face of death, we often are helpless. We don't know where to turn. The only thing I could look at him and look at his family and say to him, because they're believers. I told him there's a promise in scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 to 18. It says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you have lost a loved one, that text is saying that you will be rejoined with them. You will see them again. You will be able, and by God's grace, to live in eternity with them. And death shall molest us no more. What is this story telling us about an axe head? What is it? What is its significance? Is it that this story wants us to know the cost of tools or clean water versus dirty water? No, no. Fear, no. Is it telling us not to fear death? What is it telling us? The truth is, this story is telling us that there is a simple, simple fact that we often overlook as God's children. And that simple fact is that whatever you have in your life that you are helpless over, you take it to God because he will help you. He will help you. He will reward you. He will bless you. The story tells us that once the prophet was told that the axe head had fallen, the story said that he simply asked the young man, where did it fall? Well, over the, standing over the dark, dirty, dingy water of Jordan. And I know that a lot of you, because you hear Jesus was baptized, you think it's this clean-looking stream. No! Dirty water. And standing there over that water, the prophet of God asked the young man, where has it fallen? In your circumstances, you can find in God's church 
people who you can confide in. They are prayer warriors in God's church that you can depend on. There are prayer warriors in here who will keep your business to themselves and will not share it with anybody but God. You can't tell the leadership all the time because God forbid sometimes some of the leaders are not even spiritual. But you must find in your congregation that old lady or old man or young person that you have heard agonize before God and you know that if he or she says something to God on your behalf, your prayers will be answered too. And you know, when you listen to people pray, you can know if they have a relationship or not. You know that, right, sis? Yes. You listen to them. It tells you the depth of their connection with God. Because... Serious people who, 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 who have a connection don't, don't just start with from everlasting to everlasting you are God and, and, and all the poetic stuff and forget the, the, the real juicy stuff that, are, that you know, y'all know what I'm saying? What is it that you have lost and want to regain but you cannot get it back? This young man could have called anyone. He could have called his colleagues, his classmates. And he could have said, Jack, my, my, my axe fell here. See if you can help me get it out. No, he didn't. What he did? Alas, master. Who did he call? The man of God. Because he knew exactly where he can go to get help. You and I must know where we can go to get help. You must go on your knees. You must talk to God. Don't be afraid to bring your kids, bring your concerns, bring your difficulty, bring your challenges before God. Why is that so? I'm going to let you out now. I know you're getting ready to go. Why is that so? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And increases power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The church didn't hear me. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The text uses an analogy. It says they will soar on wings like eagles. <laughs> Have you ever seen an eagle? Eagles don't fly low. Eagles fly high. You and I can fly high. We just have to depend on God. You and I can do well, but we have to rely on God. You and I can soar, but we have to God. depend on God. Depend on God. Depend on God. They'd close the books on her. They said, you have stage four colon cancer that has metastasized to your other organs. And the doctor said to her, there is nothing else we can do for you. So, you don't need to take any more radiation or any more chemo. She's a seventh Adventist. She eat all the vegetarian stuff, all the Worthington, all the stuff from Loma Linda. But she had cancer. Cancer knows no boundary. And for those of you who think you're safe because you don't eat meat, you're not safe. It helps to eat right. But they have so much chemical in everything. You have to choose. And sometimes you don't get it. But... The doctor said to her, Brother Kite, you can go home and spend as much time with your family because you have about six months to live. She didn't do that. She took an about turn in her choices. She loved it to candy, so she stopped. And then she stopped working. She stayed at home. 
But while at home, there are a couple of things she did. During that six months, she didn't have a cooked meal. She juiced everything, including the three pineapples she ate daily. All her food, no starch, all veg and fruits. After three months, she went to have a test done. And while they saw prior to the six weeks that there were tumors everywhere, they realized that 50% of the tumors were gone. Hold on, hold on. Because it's not just the juicing that helped her. Every day she spent one hour in the morning in prayer and scripture reading. She didn't read who begot who and all the discouraging thing and who fought with who and who killed who. She didn't read those stuff. She simply read the Psalms. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in its due season. The ungodly are not so, but are like a chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the day of judgment, nor sit in the... I like to say that the ungodly are like the tumbleweed that's on those western movies. No foundation. But every day. Week five, she went back. No tumor in the lung. The liver looked clean. The pancreas good. The kidney looked good. And in the seventh week, she went back. There were no tumors in her body. If you and I stop from our busy lives sometimes, we can find those things that we have lost. If we stop and pray. If we stop and worship. If we stop and reflect, if we stop and spend time with God, you and I can regain some of those things we have lost. Are you hearing me? Sometimes, because we live in, 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 in a society of materialism, we want to be like the Joneses, so we have three jobs. We want the fanciest cars because in, 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 in our circles, you're not blessed unless you have fancy cars and a nice home. That's how we see blessing. But to have good health is blessing. To be able to wake up every morning and know that you can stand vertical is a blessing. And so today I call the church's attention to redeem and to get back from God those things that you have lost. God is willing to give them back to you. God is willing to restore them to you. You have to claim them. What is it? Where has it fallen? What is it? Where did you lose it? Today, I'm going to shut it off because I see how you're looking at me already. Today, I want to be the first to say, Lord, take me, mold me, fashion me, design me like a potter would with the clay. Do with me what you want, Lord. Sometimes it's dangerous to do that because God puts you in places that you really want to be. But when he puts you there, everything works together for good to them that love God, trust God, rely on him. Today, I want to be the first to say, Lord, take me. This feeble mortal clay, take me. Mold me how you want. Use me how you want to glorify your name, to serve others, to bless community, to bring mankind to your, your kingdom. Lord, I want to be that person. Is there anybody else here who would like to say that? Why don't you stand to your feet? If you want to say just as I said, Lord, mold me and fashion me and make me an instrument for your cause, just say that now. Just stand to your feet as an indication. I see you standing. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Before we pray, we're going to be praying. And before we pray, as the musicians prepare, there is somebody here who knows that he or she needs that change. 
you have lost something valuable to you. And you want to regain it. You want to have it again. And today you are saying, Lord, this sounds like a good opportunity for redemption. This sounds like a good opportunity to have it again. While the congregation bow their heads and close their eyes in prayer for you. You want to come out for special prayer. You want to step out from where you are. And you would like to have a special prayer today. Why don't you come? You lost something. You want it back. In fact, God doesn't generally give us back. He gives us better. Is there somebody here? Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Come on up. Come on up. There is somebody. Somebody lost something and they want to regain it. Come back. Come on. Don't look at anybody else. You should be praying for these people. You should be praying for yourself. You want to regain it. Something you lost. Something. Something. You don't have to tell me. We're going to be praying. We're going to ask God to give it back to you. Give you better. Somebody else before we pray? Somebody else? Somebody else? Yes, come on, come on, come on. Join us here, join us here, join us here. Is Dr. Davis around? Somebody here, somebody here. While we're waiting, we're going to have a prayer. Somebody, come, come, come on. We're going to be praying, a special prayer. Come on, come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else who needs to join us in special prayer? You know that that thing is on your mind. You know you need to sort that thing out. And only God can help you. And today your response is an indication. You are saying, Lord, take this situation. Take this circumstance. Take this relationship. Whatever it is, you're saying, Lord, I'm giving it to you today for you to rectify for me because I can't do it. Is there somebody else who wants to join us? Quickly, we're going to be praying now. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Even while I'm praying, feel free to come. Feel free to come. Feel free to come. Eternal Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to be in your house today. We could have been anywhere else. But the blessings we receive in your house is always worth the visit. So today we thank you. We thank you for the angels that you sent to worship with us. So that our singing is even sweeter. So that our contemplation is even deeper. So that our desires and our yearnings are heard in feeble babbling. So that your Holy Spirit translates them into language that heaven understands. It is such a privilege to be in your house. Today, these, your children, have stepped forward in public and have said there is something that I want to give God. Something, a concern that I, I have lost something. And I want my God to give it back to me. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know if it's a son, a daughter. I don't know if it's a job, if it's bad grades. I don't know if it's financial expenses. But Lord, I am so happy today that you know the very crevices of our hearts. And as they come to you with open hearts, you know exactly what they need. So today, I ask, oh God, that you will touch their circumstances. Where it needs rectification, grant it, O oh God. Where reconciliation is needed, give it, O oh God. Where there's a need to be met, fulfill that need, O oh God. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the circumstance we laid before you today and ask, O oh God, that you will hear, that you will bless. The prophet asked the young man, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? Today I've asked your children, where did they lose it? They've responded. And oh God, I ask that as I reach out to you on their behalf, that you will cause those situations to change. For this we pray in Jesus' wonderful, that beautiful name. Amen and amen. God bless you all.